Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So why don't skeletons fight each other? Because they don't have the guts. Why don't skeletons go to the movies? Because they have no body to go with them. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, y'all there? All right, good. Uh, There are a lot of preoccupations right now about deaths, ghosts, zombies, that kind of stuff, especially Halloween season. By the way, we don't do death, ghosts, scary, none of that stuff at, at Trunk or Treat. If I see it, we will touch down, all right? We just don't do it. Why? Because I don't think kids need fear mongering in their lives. We're just not gonna do it. Our message is a message of hope and love and peace, not fear. Perfect love casts out fear, right? And that what Scripture says? So our message here is one of love and peace. Y'all, y'all follow me? All right. So what do we do? What do we do when we see all this stuff? There's a preoccupation with death, ghosts, and zombies. So I have about 20 minutes. Fashion your seatbelt. I'm going to talk through one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. You need to read it this week. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let me start with this. There are a lot of, um, today we're going to talk about what happens when a person dies. Is there a resurrection from the dead? What does that look like? How does it, why would we believe there is a resurrection? So the question is, will we have bodies when we're resurrected? In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, we get to the core of the question that Paul was answering in 1 Corinthians. And he's going to start with information. We're going to go back. We're going to handle it from the end to the beginning. And the end in 1 Corinthians 13, 35 oh, uh, says, uh, actually I need to back up. Every person will be resurrected from the dead. Did you know that? Every person will be resurrected from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And for us to all appear, for every person on earth will appear before Christ. Every person to be judged for what you've done in this body. And if you're going to appear and there's going to be a judgment, that means life is not over when you die. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 35, some will ask, how then are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So the question is, if you are resurrected, what's the body going to look like you get? And, you know, is it physical? Is it spiritual? Is it a mix? I don't know. And Paul says, verse 36, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So in other words, if you plant an, and this is going to be the larger argument he's about to give. If you plant an acorn in the ground, does an acorn grow a big, like, 40-foot acorn? What grows? An oak tree. So you plant in the ground a seed, and this, what comes out of the seed is a plant that is different in substance than what is planted in the ground, correct? So his argument is that when we die, the DNA that gets planted into the ground or the seed or wherever it may be, that DNA is a seed that will be resurrected in a different form in the future. Are y'all following me? All right, good. I'm going to move quickly then. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. So there's going to be a nature of, of the resurrection 
uh, if you survive through the resurrection and you survive through the judgment, then you will have an imperishable body granted to you by Christ for all eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. I love this. You ready? Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now, he's saying to the church here, because this doesn't apply to all people, all humanity. This specific passage now fits to believers. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash and a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Where, O death, is your victory? Sorry, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So death will be swallowed up in victory for those who have faith in Christ. Now that being said, he's taking a lot of things for granted here. By the time we get to this point in the passage, he's declaring that we're all going to receive this resurrected body, that we're all going to be renewed and have an eternal life with Christ, and that our perishable bodies have been made imperishable. And he's making these con, uh, comments based upon two things we find out earlier in the passage. So for my message today, what I want to do is go back and investigate the two things he said before we get to the conclusion, all right? So I gave you the conclusion first. Then we're going to go backwards in the passage looking at what he, the argument he makes to support it. So to do that, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in honor of God's word. And I want to read for you 1 Corinthians 15, 12. <clears throat> but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then he, not even Christ has been raised. <clears throat> and if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And if, but if he didn't raise him, if, if in fact the dead are not raised, then for if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either because there's no resurrection at all. And if Christ has not been raised, well, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Wow. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And then he makes the statement, if only for this hope, uh, life we have hope in Christ, we are above all pity uh, people to be pitied. Do you know, if there's no resurrection from the dead, you're above all people to be pitied. So he's going to make a couple of statements. We're going to walk through these. Then we're going to walk through the passage before that. And then we're going to tie this up. But I want to convince you of one thing today, all right? There's one thing I want you to consider as I'm reading all of this. Was Jesus really raised from the dead? Father, I pray that you would add your Holy Spirit to our thoughts today. So that our thoughts and your thoughts would commingle and we would be directed into truth. And this truth would shape the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Move in this place. Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, turn, give somebody a high five. Tell them it's good to see them. And smile at them real big. They need a smile. So the first thing I want to share with you is that the resurrection is the core 
of the Christian message. The resurrection is the core of the Christian message. We just read you that passage. Now I want to walk back through that passage and I want to point some things out from the passage for us to look at. The first one is, uh, so can you just put, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 12. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along and see that I'm not making this stuff up. By the way, that's why I invite you to bring a Bible, right? Make sure I'm not making it up. You can check, by the way, you can check out everything I say. Really, I encourage you to investigate whether or not I'm telling you the truth. I'm going to tell you some stuff in a few minutes that you don't know. And when I tell it to you, if you question it, just go do your research for yourself. Because I'm not trying to lie to you, I'm trying to give you facts. Y'all ready? Here we go. If the resurrection isn't real, there are five ramifications. And the first one is this. If the resurrection isn't real, then not even Christ has been raised. If God is unable to raise the dead, then Jesus wasn't resurrected. God doesn't have the power. It's just a fairy tale. It's a myth. By the way, I'm going I'm to take this time to show you this book. Real thin, little light reading book, right? It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God by a guy named N.T. Wright. Okay? If you really want, if you're a scholarly kind of person and you want to go deep in the resurrection and what it means and all of those other world religions that claim resurrections and all that kind of stuff, guys, this guy's the foremost, brightest scholar on the subject in the world, probably ever, okay, as a scholar. And he wrote this thin little easy read. And if you read it, you will come away with one conclusion. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is unlike any story anywhere in the world before Jesus. It was a completely new story with Jesus. Um, yeah. I don't have time to get into you the myths of resurrection that were promoted if you listen to Zeitgeist or any of that garbage on YouTube. What you're going to find out is they say, well, there were other resurrection stories. They don't compare. There are a couple reasons they don't compare. Number one, the claims of Jesus that he was resurrected from the dead happen within the lifetime of the people who saw it happen. We'll cover this information. Secondly of all, it's written like a real story. And thirdly, it's not a fairy tale. It, it's just not a fairy tale. The people believed what they said. All three of those key elements are missing from other, quote, religious stories proclaiming a resurrection. So for people to say there are other resurrection stories, come on. Rebus and Romulus were apparently uh, resurrected from the dead by, um, by wolves who then suckled them and raised them and brought them up. And people will say that story is equal to the story of the resurrection of the dead we have in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, the two don't even compare. Right? All right? <clears throat> so, and they're saying that God has the power to raise the dead, and that's just a fact. It's not a pretty story. It's true. Second of all, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. There's no reason for you to be a Christian without the resurrection. All world religions are not equal. I've heard that said so much, and that's just so much bunk. 
world religions are not equal. If you really investigate the claims of all world religions, they are not equal. Christianity sets apart totally different than all world religions. That's about a system. All other world religions are about a system about you controlling God so God does what you want him to do. Christianity is we submit to God because he is the giver of life, not just judgment. It's totally different. So, um, when I hear people say all world, the coexist, all world religions are the same, no, the, no, that's a person that has not done their homework. Number three, we're then found to be false witnesses about God. So, if the resurrection didn't happen, all the apostles, including Paul, are found to be false witnesses about Christ. The apostles all saw Jesus alive and they spoke of that message. And the result is they all died because they knew it was real. All right. Let me, let me just say a couple things. People will die for a lie if they think it's the truth. All right? So there are suicide bombers going and blowing themselves up thinking that they're going to get reward in the afterlife, right? They think it's the truth. But you know what people don't do? People don't die for a lie that they know is a lie. And I've got lots of stories about it. I got in a little trouble when I was in college. Believe it or not, I got in a little trouble. And we went before the board, and we, the board is there, you know, they were all in their dark suits with the light behind them, and we're sitting on this side, and they're all yelling at us. And, and they called us all back in after interviewing us all, and they said, we know you guys are lying. We know you boys are lying. How would you know we're lying? Well, because all your stories are exactly the same. Well, of course they were exactly the same because I put them all on the bed. I set them on the bed in my dorm room and I said, if you guys roll on me, I will find you. I will beat you. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they stuck to their story. But you know what? If they would have kicked us out of school, the story would have came out. I knew it would because I've been rolled on before. You know, you know what rolling means, right? That somebody that knows a story and they chicken out and they, they squeal. Put enough pressure on a person, they'll squeal. Especially if they're defending a lie or defending someone else. Do you know not, what, not one apostle that saw Jesus alive, not one person that saw Jesus alive ever backed off of it? Not one. Not one. Here's what we know about them. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome around A.D. 64. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded in A.D. 44 by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. John, son of Zebedee, uh, died of natural causes doing, due to old age. But, of course, he was boiled in hot oil before that happened, and he somehow survived. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified on a diagonal or X-shaped cross. Philip was crucified in A.D. 54. Bartholomew, known as Nathaniel, was skinned alive and then beheaded near the Caspian Sea. Matthew was killed by a sword in A.D. 60 in Ethiopia. Thomas was killed by a spear in India in A.D. 72. James, son of Alphaeus, was beaten to death with a club after being crucified and stoned. It was a bad day. Jude was crucified. Simon the Zealot was crucified in AD 74. Matthias, Judas' replacement, was stoned and then beheaded. And not one of them said it was a false story. Every one of them died going to their death proclaiming that they saw Jesus alive. Do you know, do you know why they did that? Because they knew Jesus was resurrected, so they weren't scared of dying because they knew that the one who had eternal life held eternal life in their life in, their, in his hands.
So if Jesus wasn't resurrected, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Jesus is the only sinless lamb of God, paying the penalty for our sins. Without the resurrection, he just died. But the resurrection proves that God approved and accepted Jesus' sacrifice. Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life. This is the apostles preaching. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Do you guys see what's going on here? These are people that literally saw the event and are testifying of it to their own physical demise. And the last thing, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, if the resurrection's not true, you're to be pitied more than all people because we make sacrifices. The missionary we heard from today, that I can't say her name now that the sermon's uh, being broadcast, that lady, do you know why I can't say her name? Because she could get killed if I mention her name and they find it in the country she's going to. And if only for this life she has hope, if, if all she's trying to do is get ahead, make money, be successful, she's dumb. Right? I wouldn't recommend it to my daughter unless, unless, unless the resurrection's true. All right, second thing. There's good reason to believe the resurrection. We've covered a little bit of it, but let's cover the actual words of this passage. Let's back all the way up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, For what I received. Everybody say received. Does Paul say, is he saying this message originated with him? Is he saying he's the originator of this message? What's he saying? He received it. So what I received, I also pass on to you as of first importance. Now, you see that colon there? What follows that colon is a hymn. It is an early church creedal statement. We know that the early church used to meet before dawn, because they were slaves, a lot of them. And they would meet before dawn, and they would make vows and sing hymns to this Christ as if he were a god. And I'm quoting a letter uh, from Trajan. All right, what, why am I telling you this? There were hymns in existence that declared who Jesus was and what he did that Paul, what's the fourth word there? For what I, he received this hymn and he passes along. Now I know I'm going to give you a couple of hints why this is an early hymn here in just a second, but let's just look at it. First of all, if you're reading it in the Greek, it has rhyme, rhythm, and meter. So Paul is literally quoting back to them the hymn he taught them. We'll get back to how that happened in just a second. Here's the hymn. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. That's the end of the hymn. Paul then writes the rest of this. Paul writes, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what he's doing here is he's reminding them, and then he appeared to James, and then to apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. What Paul is doing here is he's saying, remember the hymn I taught you? And by the way, these are other people that saw Jesus alive. So... Um, Let's go backwards. I want to give you a timeline. If Paul received this, when did he receive it? So there's a, a, a screenshot, I believe, of a timeline. Do you have that in there? You do not. Could you make sure we get it for second service? All right, I'm going to have to, let me, let me do this. All right, y'all ready? 
um, first, let's start this way. First Corinthians is written, this letter is written around A.D. 55. Everybody participate with me. A.D. what? A.D. 55. Jesus was crucified, according to the best guess, around A.D. 33. Everybody say that. A.D. All right, you math majors. How far between A.D. 33 and A.D. 55? 22 years. All right. In these 22 years, what happened between the writing of 1 Corinthians, where we, there we go, we have this document from the crucifixion and resurrection where the moment happened. That's 22 years, by the way, by itself. That's quicker than any making of anybody to be a god other than them making themselves god. Uh, like Caesar Augustus, who declared himself to be God, and if you don't worship me, I'm going to kill you. So, of course, people worshiped him because he was going to kill them because power made him a God. But here we have a guy that's not even on the scenes anymore, and he's made a God, and people are worshiping him and giving them their entire life out of love and devotion and belief within 22 years. This is unprecedented because Buddha, nobody, nobody, even close for 200 years. Are y'all following me? But... It's not just 22 years. Let's back it up. Because Paul said he received it, and he had already shared it with them. When did Paul visit Corinth? Well, Paul visited Corinth and gave them the message for the first time in AD 52. So now we're down to what? 19 years. Yeah? Y'all follow me? All right. So that happened when Paul gave them the gospel in AD 52. When did Paul receive what he gave them, though, in AD 52? Well, when Paul received it, it was probably all the way back somewhere from A.D. 41 or earlier. And we know A.D. 41 was when he started his public ministry in Antioch and he began preaching for himself. Now, one of the reasons I believe that Paul received this before Antioch is found in the passage. It says in the passage that Jesus appeared to Cephas. Who is Cephas? How do you know it's Peter? Hmm. Cephas doesn't mean rock, does it? Oh, yes, it does. But do you know what language Cephas means rock? We call him Peter, and in Greek, Peter, Petros, is rock. Yeah, what language is Cephas rock, though? Aramaic. By the way, what language did Jesus communicate in to people? What language did they speak in Palestine when Jesus walked on the earth after his crucifixion all the way up until the church moved out of Jerusalem? What was the language they spoke locally? Aramaic. So we know that this creedal statement of this hymn was formed when the church was still calling Peter Cephas which means it had to be before it went to the Greek-speaking world. Are y'all following me here? Why would they change, allow his name to go Peter in the Greek-speaking world? Because they wanted to convey that he's the rock. You know, he's, they wanted to convey that. And Cephas, they, you would then have to explain it. But if you called him Peter, everybody understood, oh, this is rock. Are, are y'all following me here? When you read a text like this, there are hints <clears throat> that within eight years of the event of the death, burial, and resurrection happening, there is a creedal statement written declaring Jesus to be died for our sins, according to the scriptures, 
buried in a grave, and resurrected on the third day. And we have witnesses of it, including Mr. Rock and the other 12. Are y'all following me here? Well, this is just helpful for you to understand timeline, though. I'll go ahead and give you the rest. It says uh, those seven years in between there, Paul from 34 A.D. to 37, uh, to 41 A.D., Paul spent seven years being trained for ministry. Three years in Arabian Desert, four years under tutelage of Barnabas. And so that means that Paul had a resurrection experience, an experience with the resurrected Jesus. When he says, last of all, Jesus appeared to me as to one abnormally born or one that's a totally goofed up, messed up, failed abortion, which is what he calls himself, which is poignant to what we're talking about earlier today. That happened in AD 34. By the way, how do we know that Paul heard the message of Jesus in AD 34? Because Paul was there when a guy named Stephen was stoned in A.D. 34. And it was the death of Stephen looking up to heaven and saying, I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the heavens. And, and they stoned him for it because Stephen knew Jesus was alive. Guys, this is... Why am I telling you all these things? I, I could give you... The scriptures back up the creedal statement. That he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was resurrected on the third day. The scriptures back it up. The history backs it up. The facts of their witness unto death back it up. Everything points to the resurrection being a factual story. <clears throat> Not a fairy tale. Not a church made up myth. But an actual event in history. And you say, well, we can't believe those documents. Oh, really? How do you know Augustus Caesar lived? How do you know? You take for granted that somebody wrote documents with his name on it. Right? How do you know Nebuchadnezzar lived? How do you, how do you know King Tut? How do you know? There are evidence. How do you know your great-grandpa lived. You're here. <laughs> How do you know Jesus is alive? I'm here. Because one day when I was 17 years old, sitting about right there in a church service, God got a hold of me and said, no more running. Our faith is not make-believe, well-wishes, or religious mumbo-jumbo. Our faith is this. Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. They are completely, 100% covered under his blood. You don't have to wonder in guilt or shame or struggle anymore with it. <clears throat> he was buried. According to Isaiah 53, he was buried among the rich in his death. Exact prophecy of where they placed him. And after he has died, he will see the light of life. Come on. Earlier in the passage, or later in the passage, it says literally that he dies. He poured out his life unto death is what it says in the next verses. So Jesus died. And this is a prophecy 700 years before declaring that Jesus would die 
I, and by the way, Proverbs, uh, Psalm 22 says he will be crucified with his hands and his feet, immobile, and all of his bones out of joint, and a pier, spear will pierce his rib. All of these things are detailed in the scripture regarding his death, and it's prophesied hundreds of years before, and Jesus now fulfills them all, and on the third day, he is resurrected from the dead. And even if you're one of those people that you fight with your emotions, your head right now should be telling you, this is true. I'm not presenting you an emotional appeal. I'm presenting to you facts. In a court of law, it will stand up. Well, the gospel stories don't all agree because it's real. If they all agreed, they made it up. I, I could go into that. I'm not going to do it. Guys, this is facts. I'm just dealing with the facts. And the facts are this. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, it changes everything. Everything. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to live like everybody else anymore. As a matter of fact, you should not live like everybody else because you have eternity promised to you and all of its manifold blessings. If you sacrifice here, who cares? You got eternity to go. <clears throat> all right. What does this mean? Remember we read that verse earlier, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? There was, a, there was a kiddo, he was deathly allergic to bees. If he got stung, he would swell up and die. And um, he was in the car one day, he was riding with his dad. It was a nice spring day and the wind was warm, so the dad had the windows of the car down. And uh, About that time, a bee flew in the car. A bee flew in the car, the kid did the natural reaction. He reached up and patted his chest where he kept his vial of antidote. When he hit his chest, he realized that he had left his antidote off when he took his shower. He took it off and laid it down. And he said, Dad, there's a bee in the car. He's going to sting me. I'm going to die. And the dad said, son, relax. Just relax, okay? You got your antidote. You'll be all right. And he said, no, Dad, I left it home. The bee's going to sting me. I'm going to die. And the dad says, okay, son. So he reached over and he rolled the windows up in the car. Then the kid starts screaming more. Dad, there's a bee in the car. You just trapped me with him. He's going to kill me. I'm going to die. He's going to sting me. And dad says, son, relax. <clears throat> and the bee was up by the front of the window, and he, dad just reached up real quick, and he sort of scooped gently the bee in his hand. And when he held the bee in his hand, the kid breathed right. Oh, thanks, dad. And just a second later, the dad did something really crazy. The dad just opened up his hand and let the bee fly away. And uh, the kids started freaking out again. Dad, why'd you let the bee go? He's going to sting me. I'm going to swell up and I'm not going to be able to breathe. And I'm going to die and we can't get to the hospital in time. Dad, why'd you let him go? And Dad said, son, relax. And he reached out his hand. Right there in the palm of his hand was the stinger from the bee. 2,000 years ago, upon a cross, Jesus stretched out his hands and he took upon his hands the sting of death, fear, purposeless, sin, confusion. And he bore it in his hand so he could say, 
that all of these things have lost their victory. The victory is gone. Your life has a purpose, but if you're not living it for Jesus, you're not living in the peace he offers. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. It is time for you today to stop being religious and to receive Jesus as your Savior. It is time for you today to stop fighting religion and receive Jesus as your Savior. Your head is telling you the truth, but right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart as well. It is the day for you to step from death to life, to receive the work Jesus did. It is your day to be saved and to stop being a quarter of the way or halfway in. Today is your day. If you've never made Jesus your Savior and you want to, or maybe you've halfway done it and you've sort of drifted away, it's time to come back. I want you to lift your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Just lift your hand up. Today is my day. Today is my day. I'm going all in right now, today. Yes, around this room, hands are up. Today is the day. It's not just mental ascent only. I give my spirit, my soul, and my heart right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, every single person, their hands lifted. Father, you have heard and you have answered. It is their day to be saved. It is their day to go all in, to find purpose in life the way you direct. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me this morning. And normally I'd, you know, normally I'd pray a prayer and guide it, but... I want you to come pray with somebody. We have people up here to pray with you, whether you rededicated your life, you gave Jesus your life for the first time, or whether you just need somebody to pray with you. We have people up here to pray with you. We want to take just a couple of minutes. Could you uh, just hang out for a couple of minutes, and could we spend a few moments around the altar together? Thank you.